There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a cold of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on October the 2nd, 2013. For newcomers, please make good use of the website CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. You find lots of audios for download where I go through the system. Uh, it's a real system you're born into actually, your parents, grandparents too, that was set up 100 years ago, or even older than that in fact, but they came out in the open 100 years ago and formed their big foundations, tax-exempt foundations, under the guise of philanthropic organizations and charitable organizations. They run hundreds and hundreds and actually thousands of non-governmental organizations across the world. And these foundations were set up by the biggest industrialists and bankers of the world back then. Now their children take over, of course, and it's ongoing. And they decide to bring in a new type of system, a system, a planned society, a global society which they would rule, and eventually through wars and various other means, and eventually through capital itself, through money itself, and uh, creating the laws to do with international uh, lending and borrowing and big institutions which they built up, like the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, and the Bank for International Settlements, they would force the world into this one monetary system run by themselves, this private system run by themselves. And that's already happened as we, as been, we've, we've lived through it. In fact, in fact, we see the IMF going up to its full power and the World Bank too. And the Bank for International Settlements is in charge of all the private central banks. It's all one big click at the top, a gang. Uh, of uh, money men and uh, and this is the big clincher today is creating a crisis massive crisis and then uh, having a global meeting of course at the United Nations which they also set up and uh, they'll come out with exactly what they want a new global society and and one group uh, runs the money of the whole planet basically besides the value of it uh, downgrade you and all the rest of it uh, officially etc etc so help yourself to the website remember too you can get print-ups of many of the talks I've given over the years in English and all the sites listed at cuttingthroughthemedias.com and you can get uh, uh, ones in other languages for print-up if you go into alanwattsentinel.eu Now, remember too that you bring me to you because I don't bring on advertisers as guests. I don't ask for advertisers as guests. I try to decline them. And... Um, I uh, depend on the people to buy the books and discs at cuttingthroughmedics.com. So to order from the U.S. to Canada, if you want to understand the art of conology, how to con whole populations down through the ages, very old science, of course. It's much more perfected today under neuroscience and behaviorism, etc. You can buy the books and discs using personal checks from the U.S. to Canada. You can also send cash or use PayPal. And across the world, you've got Western Union MoneyGram and PayPal. And straight donations are seriously welcome as we go through the planned inflationary periods. And inflation's to carry on for about another 10 years, according to all the bigwigs of the, the money bags boys at the top. So we're going through a planned society. Uh, even, the, even the wars across the world, too, 
uh, to take down countries by economic means through their banking, downgrading them, etc. It's all part of them uh, copying the exact same system. Private centralized bank under under the IMF and so on. They've got to borrow money from the World Bank and pay it back through the IMF. And uh, they've got to be under the BIS, the Bank for International Settlements. And if they don't agree, they're being bombed out of existence as we speak. And of course, it's a time of plunder too, called resource wars. Back in the 70s, they talk about resource wars, the coming resource wars, and how there will be real hard wars to to bring in uh, to, for the big, big corporations, international corporations, to um, get all the territory and oil and uh, minerals and so on they want across the world. And we know they're going into Africa big time now. They've been setting this up for years as well. So anyway, we're going through a long-term business plan, and that's what it is. It's a business plan. Most folk can't get their heads around that. They think we're all national still. And even before Gulf War One, every country was mentioning the global, global, global. We're all global. And that was all the, the mantra at the time. And suddenly it became national again when they need troops to go over and fight uh, for the resource wars for the big international corporations. They give you nothing back except the bills, of course. And then after this is all done, too, we'll go back to being global once more. It's quite amazing how we can put on a globalist cap for years uh, and then put the nationalist one back on when it suits the bigwigs to use us. Because nations are, are already gone. They've already gone. And of course, uh, Rompuy, the head of the, the EU Parliament, uh, said the same thing. I've read the article on the air in a speech he gave at the EU Parliament that the nation state is dead. That was their goal for centuries, by the way, because these organizations have been going down through the centuries, uh, causing revolutions to bring in a kind of socialist type order. And they work with the big bankers because big bankers prefer socialism. Under socialism, you have big governments. Big government needs to borrow money because they've never got enough, even though they tax people to death. And uh, and bankers live off the interest of it. They don't care if the lump sum is going to get paid back. It never can be at compound interest. It's only important to get massive sums every year. That's called balancing the budget. It doesn't mean you pay off uh, the main collateral. You know, it's the it's the interest on the debt that you pay off. And it's been like that their whole life. That's how it's been. Every country's the same, folks. Because every country was taken over a long, long time ago by the same money people who came in from other countries. So. They go through the, the charade of pretending, again, we're, we're nations, etc. While the G20 was formed out of your prime ministers and presidents across the world, and the public never even got a vote on it. Uh, he's a private club, basically, formed itself above all constitutions uh, and, and create their own private club, sign global agreements and contracts, and, and also dish your money across the world, your cash, the cash they tax off of you across the planet for all their, their foreign excursions and their plans, etc., and their international companies, too. We bail out the big banks, of course, when they decide to have the crash, because they decided to have the crash. They knew they weren't going to last forever, bumping up the prices of mortgages and then passing, up, uh, passing them off to the next bank who would buy them for a profit and keep bumping them up again. It was, it was a complete bubble, of course, an artificial bubble, and it's criminality, of course, but, of course, nobody, there's nothing going to, nobody's going to try them. Nobody goes to jail over this. Uh, they were given democracy, this thing called democracy, something called democracy, that the big boys, when they formed the Royal Institute for International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations in America, when they formed them, they had no intention of giving you democracy, give you the appearance of democracy, then you wouldn't rebel every four or five years. You'd vote another bunch in. That's what you do. 
And, and meanwhile, the parallel government, the real government, that's above the ones that you think you elect, uh, run the show. And they tell the boys what to do that you think you put in. I can remember when Brian Mulroney came into government in, in Canada as Prime Minister, and he ran on getting us out of NAFTA. Within two weeks, he was a champion pushing it forth. You see, they're all liars. And they're put in by, again, the same organization that comes from foreign relations. They're all members of it. And they have been that way for, it's now a hundred years. Every Prime Minister and President of the U.S. too, as we remember, for a hundred years. Uh, this is how long it's been going in picking presidents and prime ministers. So they all know their roles. And Matt, Brian Mulroney uh, pushed it at NAFTA. He was all for it. He said, oh, great jobs galore. Of course, they did it in Mexico and elsewhere across the world, but um, not in Canada. And then when he was uh, a few years after he came out of government, he was on an interview and he was asked uh, what, he, what he thought of NAFTA. And now would it really help Canada? He says, to be perfectly honest, I don't know. You see, when, when he's in government, he's doing what he's told. He's not the top man at all. He's doing what he's told to push through. And it's all the same across Britain and the U.S. and elsewhere. That's how it really, really works. There's one organization running the world. Winston Churchill brought it out in Parliament at one time because he was out the loop on certain things. Before the Royal Institute for International Affairs was called uh, his present name, it was called the Alfred Lord Alfred Milner Group. And this group had fomented wars in, and, uh, in uh, South Africa. They got the Boer War going uh, by causing it to happen and then blaming the Boers, of course, was the British Army would come in. And then the big business interests, which, of course, was themselves, the same, same member group, uh, they, they grabbed all the gold fields and the diamonds and so on. That's how the thing, the thing really works in this world, folks. Vastly different from what you think. Back with more, I think, after this break. I think there's music coming in. Hi, folks. We're back, cutting through the matrix, talking about the system. And the system really is is all-encompassing, all-encompassing. Your whole reality was given to you. And every generation is updated with your new PC ways of, of behavior and so on and accepting various things and opi- having certain opinions and so on. We're being standardized all the time. But the previous generation had its own standardization given to them too, thinking it's all normal. But in fact, for centuries, we've been bred for work. That's what we do. We work and we fight. We go to wars. And Fort, Charles Fort said that a long time ago. I think we're farmed, he said. And really, that's how you look at it. You're pretty well farmed. And meanwhile, of course, you're conned all the way, thinking that you are a country and you are free and you're independent. All countries tell their folks that. All countries say that. And they have the best health care in the world and the best everything in the world. That's a standard routine that you go through. And most folk believe it and, and, and serve their country in all kinds of ways, which perhaps they shouldn't sometimes. But... um. The technique of, of uh, uh, creating such societies, as I say, is very, very old indeed. And when reality is all-encompassing and you accept it and your peer group accepts it too, you don't realize that, no, you're, you're basically a, you're in a form of slavery, basically. If you're true freedom, no one could lean on you for, for a previous generation's debts, for instance. 
And that's what we all do because we're all paying off the debt of previous generations and anyone born in the future is going to be doing the same. And that's called a, it's a slavery form, you see, more sophisticated form of slavery. That's what uh, Charles Galton Darwin was talking about in his book, The Next Million Years. That's what he meant by that. A more sophisticated form of slavery, meaning the slaves would never figure out they were slaves. You think everything's quite natural, everything exists because it's there when you're born, and your peer group, the same age group too, will think the same thing as you. So you're all quite sane, that's how you, you think it's, it all works, of course, and nothing's further from the truth. It's all contrived that way, set up that way, and, and if you're not allowed to dig into any areas that are outside the box, so to speak. And it will go on and on and on until they have the perfect society, as we're dying off, actually. And we certainly are dying off because very few folk in the first world countries are breeding, they're having children. Uh, the UN happily reports on this every year, and also happily reports they have to bring in masses of immigration from other countries to, to bring them in to help pay off the national debts we've all accumulated for these wars and bailing banks out and everything else that we do for the big corporations. That's reality. That's reality. But we're also uh, tampered with our minds all the time uh, by professionals. And I've gone through psych the psychological nudge units they have in Britain and the US and Canada and elsewhere. We all have them now. And they nudge you in so many ways into thinking or, or, or behaving in a different way or having different opinions than you used to have. These are all the nudges. And you're guided to them so that you'll feel that you belong with the peer group. The more education you have, the easier it is to program you. And I've read the articles too that have done study after study in universities to do with that very topic because uh, those who, who get higher up in the middle classes are so desperate to hang on to being a middle class person and mixing with their peer group, drinking wine, standing up and all the rest of it, that they, they don't want to be seen as someone not in the know. And they immediately adopt, adapt and adopt any new behavior that's given out to them by uh, their bosses, their masters, you see. Now in Britain, they're trying to desensitize the public to war, to the effects of war. And it says here that, um, it says we must make more, war more acceptable. The Ministry of Defense urged to make repatriation ceremonies low key and use more drones, special air service and mercenaries to reduce what's called the body bag syndrome. It says images of flag draped coffins reduces support for military action. Remember, the first thing you're going to do in war is to get the public support behind you by telling lots of lies about an enemy bayoneting babies or something like that. That's a standard old stuff. It adds that special forces and mercenary deaths don't hit the public as hard. And it says document is to foster a debate. And so far it's not policy, but it will become policy. So repatriation service for the remains of dead soldiers should have a lower profile in order to make war more palatable to the British public, it says. Examines how to sway casualty-averse public opinion, a situation commonly known as body bag syndrome, and was published by the Ministry of Defence's Strategy Formulation Unit. The document suggests that the Ministry of Defence should reduce the profile through repatriation ceremonies, where coffins carrying deceased soldiers are brought back to the UK bases, such as RAF Bryce Norton in Oxfordshire. It discusses ways to reduce public sensitivity and methods of explaining that risks are knowingly and willingly undertaken by armed forces personnel. 
Suggestions included making greater use of the special forces and mercenaries because it causes less sustained uh, losses sustained by the elite soldiers and higher guns. They don't have the same impact on the public and the press. Neither the media nor the public in the West appear to identify with contractors in the way that they do with their military personnel. Thus, casualties from within the contractorized force are more acceptable in pursuit of military ends than those from amongst our own forces. So they want to use more private armies, is what they're saying here, because you don't think about them being as yours as much. They're just international mercenaries. And I did the public appear to have a more robust attitude to special forces losses. Reassurances are made in the paper that the British public may not be as risk-averse as they appear and suggest this is based on recent post-2000 experience. And it adds that the public have been become better informed and our, our opponents more sophisticated in the exploitation of the sources of information, with a net result that the convincing of the nation of the need to run military risk has become more difficult but no less essential. The report written in 2012, released under the Freedom of Information Act, has been met with criticism by relatives of soldiers killed while serving their country. And it goes on and on and on. But that's that's a pretty standard one as we get our heads tampered with again, you see. Uh, everything is a show to the public. Even the presentations uh, of everything you'll see on television is a show to the public. It goes through editing. It goes through careful structuring by professionals and marketing and so on. And how to get opinions over to the public. The correct opinions, the ones they want you to have. It can be completely... Um, uh, 180 degrees from the reality but uh, in other words an absolute lie but uh, that's okay, that's quite acceptable when you're dealing with the public this is how we're treated, you know and I really cannot figure out how people prattle on about democracies like you've got democracies, but where? where do you have a democracy? also, this reminds me of, of um, Scotland actually this article here, it's talking about uh, Ontario, Canada, and it says that um, that six different boreholes produced approximately five kilometres of core samples while exploring a deep geological repository near the Bruce Power Nuclear Plant, Ontario. The GR has been proposed to store nuclear waste deep underground. So they're going to store it. They don't know where to put it, you see. And some of these countries, like Canada, are bringing the stuff in from other countries and um, refining it, supposedly, I mean, re- kind of recharging in a sense. Uh, and, and, but there's always stuff left over. What are you going to do with it all? Well, y- you bury it. So core samples dug in and around the site beside Lake Huron uh, show the rock formation to be extremely stable with no signs of movement for millions of years. Well, that's a, a bet, isn't it? This will make it safe from any future geological events such as earthquakes. It says six different boreholes produce approximately five kilometers of core samples while exploring a deep geological repository near the Bruce Power nuclear plants. The GR is being proposed to store the nuclear waste deep underground and the samples dug in and around the site behind, beside Lake Huron show the rock formation to be stable, etc., etc. And that's just what they plan to do with it. And it's a story of, of someone who, who lives near the, the plant itself. It's called the Bruce nuclear plants. It's a woman, and uh, says uh, uh, she, she's very she's getting up in arms about it. She's not happy about the stuff getting sunk near her at all, uh, under this stable rock, as they claim. But that's what they were doing in Scotland back in the seventies. They were bringing it up from England and boring it into the Grampian Mountains, or encasing it in a glass casing and dumping it into the lochs. Back with more after this.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back cutting through the matrix and uh, talking about the farce of the world because that's all we have really is farce, isn't it? When it comes to disclosures to the public uh, that's put through marketing and censorship and all the rest of it. It's, it's like George Orwell's 1984. We're living in it. It's all around us, in fact. But you have an article like this that came out last week, in fact. It's U.S. intelligence chiefs urge Congress to preserve surveillance programs. And it says... Uh, U.S. intelligence chiefs used an appearance before Congress Thursday to urge lawmakers not to allow public anger over the extent of government surveillance to result in changes to the law that would impede them from preventing terrorist attacks. So there's lawmakers not to allow public anger. So don't, don't get angry. You're not allowed to, to be angry, you see. General Keith Alexander, director of National Security Agency, conceded that disclosures by the whistleblower Edward Snowden will change how we operate. I mean, it'd be harder to find out what they're up to. But he urged senators who are weighing a raft of reforms to preserve the foundational attributes of a program that allows officials to collect the phone data of millions of American citizens. In testing exchanges at the Senate Intelligence Committee, Alexander and the Director of National Intelligence, James Clapper, refused to say on the record where the NSC had ever, where it ever sought uh, to troll cell uh, site data, which pinpoints location of individuals via their phones. They were challenged by Democratic Senator Ron Wyden, whose member of the committee has for years been privy to classified briefings that he cannot discuss in public. He says, you talk about the damage that has been done by disclosures, but any government official who thought this would never be disclosed that was ignoring history, the truth manages to come out, he says. Always manages to come out. I wonder if it does, though. Anyway, it says, NSA leadership built an intelligence data collection system that repeatedly deceived the American people. Time and time again, the American people were told one thing in a public forum, while intelligence agencies did something else in private. What's called lying, you know, it's just outright lies. And... uh Asked by uh, Udall whether it was the NSA's aim to collect the records of all Americans, General Alexander replied, I believe it is in the nation's best interest to put all the phone records into a lockbox, yes. So they're going to keep doing it forever by the looks of it. But then that's the the world agenda. All countries are the same now, folks. We're way beyond the Stasi system that they had in Eastern Germany. Way, way beyond their system. And also... This article, too, to do with uh, the agenda. The agenda is right on track to where it's supposed to go. Remember, the Council on Foreign Relations, you've heard it from different members of the CFR uh, saying this. Uh, they always say that, uh, how can we use this disaster to our advantage? What they mean is, and a disaster to, to their agenda's advantage, you see. They push it in the line with the agenda. In other words, they live off disasters. Uh, they appear to come out of the blue uh, to the general public, but they're not. They're not. not from 9-11 to onwards, it hasn't come out of the blue at all. And it goes right along with the agendas, of course. It's the same with the agenda now for the unification of all the monetary system under the Bank for International Settlements. And there'll be another big crash when it's time. When it's time for the next crash, it will happen. Planned that way, you see. And it always is horrible to the public, but not to the guys that plan it all. They get what they want out of it, you see. But it says, U.S. Census report shows entrenched poverty and declining living standards in the U.S. 
So the Census Bureau report released Tuesday entitled Income, Poverty and Health Insurance Coverage in the U.S. 2012 makes a mockery of President Barack Obama's claims to be restoring security and opportunity for the middle class in the wake of the 2008 financial breakdown. The report provides a snapshot of a society in immense crisis. Poverty is at near generation high of 15%, close to the high point since the 1965 war on poverty. The 15.2% rate reached in 1983. According to Tuesday's report, 46.5 million Americans, including 9.5 million families, live in poverty. Some 20.4 million people live on an income of less than 50% of the official poverty line. 7.1 million of these being children under 18. More than 48 million remain without health insurance. Well, a lot of them will still get by anyway because the rest of the folk have to pay it for them. More than 31% of the population experienced some period of impoverishment during the years 2009-2011. And then another article it says here uh, from the Business Insider, it says, Census data released last week doesn't look good for the middle class with median household, household income and income growth and share of the total national income all continuing to decline. The Liberal Think Tank Center for American Progress published several charts on these depressing trends. And I'll put up the links for all these tonight, including the chart. This is David Madland, the, the director of the American Worker Project, thinks that the trend will continue barring majority or major policy changes in the government. My expectation going forward is that median household income will be stagnant, while the incomes for the wealthiest will increase significantly, he told the Business Insider. Well, that's been that way for years. Because even the United Nations is happy to shout that too, that uh, the, the gulf between the rich and the poor is staggering. The middle class are really just getting put into the, the bottom class now. And, and the, the ones who are wealthy today, this big, big clique, are getting wealthier and wealthier all the time. This is the recent decline of the middle class incomes is because almost all of the economic growth since the last recession has been gobbled up by the super rich. Large leaps in wealth for the top 5% have mass declines in income for the bottom 95%, giving the appearance that economic recovery has benefited all parties. Even in good economic times, such as 2001 to 2007, median household income stayed flat. These trends at Madland are 30 years in the making, the result of trickle-down economic policy and loss of workers' economic power to get higher wages. As, what they don't mention here is it's also because you're run by private institutions that gave you uh, uh, the, the World Trade Organization, WTO, with its private court that decides who gets free trade and who doesn't. And they decided to give it to China, and your factories all went abroad. Same in Canada. They all went abroad. And not only that, they used the taxpayer in these secret agreements, actually, at the time they were pretty secret. The taxpayers funded those factories to get up and move. And we also uh, um, we, we funded any losses they incurred during that process of setting up in China. So, so of course, it's all planned that way. And they knew all the, the, the fallout of it before it happens. They, they plan everything. So what will the fallout be? Oh, millions will be unemployed. <laughs> What are we going to replace them with? What are, going to, what are we going to make them work at? Well, they'll just have to go on the unemployment, etc., etc. I mean, this is all, we're global folks. We're run by international globalists. The private organizations that set up the WTO, whether the Royal Institute for International Affairs in London, England, it's a private organization. Every media mogul is a member of it, so that's where you get your propaganda from. And their, their branch in the U.S. is called the Council on Foreign Relations. Same thing, they do the same thing there. Anybody, who's anybody in the U.S. is a member of it. And they want global free trade and a global government. 
and one system running the banking system across the planet, all in private hands. Their hands, you see. It's very, very simple to figure out. Now, fracking, of course, is again, this is, this is what really gets me, is they always use the public, uh, the public's purse, put it that way, uh, for the big projects at home or, or abroad nowadays big corporations, and the governments is, uh, uh, give you great public relations, like, we're going to have energy for another hundred years because we can do fracking and get energy at home. And then once you get all the grants put in, and they're, they're doing it and so on, they start bottling the gas, etc., uh, they start selling it abroad. So, so much for having it at home. It'll be gone. It'll be gone abroad, you see. And I've read the articles on the air about it. Everything's a racket, folks. And government is part of the racket. But anyway, it's always fallout for the public in more ways than one. Dangerous levels of radioactivity is found at the fracking waste site in Pennsylvania. I mentioned this before, but they've done a deep study on it. It says, uh, a gas production site at the Marcellus Shale Formation, Pennsylvania. Scientists have for the first time found dangerous levels of radioactivity and salinity at a shale gas waste site that could contaminate the drinking water. If the UK falls on the steps of the US shale gas revolution, it should impose regulations to stop such radioactive buildup, they said. The Duke University study published Wednesday examined the water discharge from the Josephine Bryan treatment facility into Black Creek. Black Lake Creek, it's called, which feeds into a water source for western Pennsylvania cities, including Pittsburgh. Scientists took samples upstream and downstream from the treatment facility over a two-year period, with the last sample taken in June this year. Elevated levels of chloride and bromide combined with strontium, radium oxygen, and hydrogen isotopic compositions are present in the Marcellus Shale wastewater, as the study found. Radioactive brine is naturally occurring in shale rock and contaminates wastewater during hydraulic fracking, known as fracturing. Sometimes that flowback water is re-injected into deep rock underground, a practice that can cause seismic disturbance, but often is treated before being discharged into water courses. Radium levels in samples collected at the facility were 200 times greater than samples taken upstream. Such elevated levels of radioactivity are above regulated levels and would normally be seen at licensed radioactive disposal facilities, according to the scientists at Duke University's Nicholas School of Environment in North Carolina. So hundreds of disposal sites for wastewater could be similarly affected, said Professor Avner Vengosh, one of the authors of the study published in Environmental Science and Technology, a peer-reviewed journal. And I'll put the links up for that one too. It says, if people don't live in those places, it's not an immediate threat in terms of reactivity. However, there's danger of slow bioaccumulation of the radium. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're cutting through the matrix talking about the system, which is everything, of course, it's, it's all that we know is the system. And uh, another article too about the border, the US and Canada border, and there's been so many horror com- stories coming out of there too over the years since 9-11, uh, it's, it's got crazy, it's got crazy and so on, and the Department of Homeland Security really has full right to do whatever they want apparently, but um, apparently there's a TV show called On The Media, and the producer and the family and friends of this producer of, of On The Media uh, show 
uh, were detained after attending a wedding in Canada. And I think her name is Sarah Abdurrahman. Uh, so it says everyone they detained was an American citizen coming back to the U.S. after attending a wedding of a cousin. They were treated terribly, put in a cold room with no food, drinks, no information on what was going on. CBP demanded that they hand over their electronics and made it clear that they might not get them back. It's true to take your cell phones off you and everything. The thing is, this isn't a unique situation. As the report notes, there's almost no oversight over CBP actions, allowing them to act with impunity. In the report, the story is told of a four-year-old girl, an American citizen, who was detained for 14 hours in a cold room without being allowed to speak to her parents and given no food beyond a cookie, and then she was deported, even though she was a U.S. citizen. She was allowed to come back weeks later, but now has symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. Under man's own story is perhaps not that crazy, but is still ridiculous. She tried to find out information during the detainment, but was repeatedly told it's not your right to know. She wasn't even allowed to know the names of the CBP agents who detained them. When she asked, agents turned their backs to her so she couldn't see their name tags. Multiple attempts at getting Homeland Security or CBP to respond to questions failed. And she also tells the story of some other wedding attendees who were similarly detained with incredibly obnoxious behaviour from CPP agents, Border Patrol agents. The first one they met was quizzing everyone in the car on their names, and the three-year-old child in the back cheerily volunteered his name, and the CBP agent then snapped at him, yelled at him. The agents initially promised they wouldn't search their phones, but then demanded that people unlock their phones, and even told them the phones would be confiscated and not returned. People complained that they needed their phones for work and were basically told too bad. Abdurrahman notes that three full cars of people from the one wedding all had their phones confiscated, and she notes that the DHS, Department of Homeland Security, claims only about 15 phones are confiscated each day uh, by CBP. I wonder why everyone from one wedding appears to have nearly reached the, the quota. And it was, it's worse and worse, actually, but I'll put the link up tonight for you to, to have a look at. And um, I think there's an audio goes with it, if you want to listen to the audio. Now, we know, too, that the big internationalists have never changed their, their, their... You understand the psychology of psychopaths. They're real... Uh, they're not creative psychopaths, but they get to the top as CEOs of massive corporations. And they're megalomaniacs, too, but a psychopath really is all out for themselves. The world revolves around themselves. That's it. And they, they, they've never changed their attitudes to the rest of the public. They're there for their use of. That's what the public's for. And they tend to get up into politics too. Everywhere where the big public purse is, they get up there, they like power, they like accolades and applause. So they've used the same systems down through the ages. Well, I, I knew when they were building uh, Dubai and uh, for, for the very, very rich folk to go and live in Dubai, uh, they imported people from all over the world, even from Latin America, and they bring them in under the same old cons that the British Empire used. Uh, part of your paying uh, to get over there is deducted from your wage every week, and eventually they'll deduct money for you to get back home again. And of course, you never, because you have to spend money when you're living there, uh, you can never save up the money to get back home. So you're a slave. And this one's at Qatar. Now, Qatar is the, the great place for a ship for the US and Britain and other countries to ship their arms into for the Syrian rebels. That's been in mainstream news, and I've read that on there too. So they have slaves worked, working to death, it says, building Qatar's World Cup paradise report. 
and as his protesters demonstrate against the perceived exploitation of workers in Qatar, location of the 2022 World Cup before the UEFA Congress in central London, May 24, 2013. And says one construction worker a day dies as Qatar seeks to build facilities for the World Cup. That's the finding of the Guardian newspaper, which characterizes conditions facing migrant workers in the country as slave labor. Now, as I say, that was the same in Dubai, because I knew a doctor who went over there for a couple of months, and he couldn't believe uh, these people were living, literally, they were in cardboard boxes. These are the, the workers. We're working 12 to 14 hours a day, and, and that kind of heat too. And many of them got sick, many of them died, and they just didn't know who they were, just buried them. This still goes on today, folks. And don't think for an instant that the same people who brought these people over to build uh, this World Cup place um, wouldn't do the same to you if they could get away with it. Because they would. In all ages, they have. They have. Never never think you're somehow getting civilized and that human nature is changing. It hasn't at all. Not in the least. Not with the psychopathic types. Also, this article is pretty good too. It says, um, uh, MasterCard today unveiled a new global report called the Cashless Journey that tracks how 33 major economies are progressing from cash-based to cashless societies. They planned this long, long ago, long ago. The report produced by MasterCard Advisors identifies new technologies, government programs and consumer preferences as key factors that are driving this shift, uh, creating more productive, inclusive economies. That's, that's a nice way of saying it. There's more too, of course. Because through the different countries, as it says, the report identifies Belgium, where an estimated 93% of the value of consumer spending was cashless. France is 92%. Canada is now at 90%. The UK, 89%. Sweden, 89%. Australia, 86 And Netherlands, 85%. As countries where cashless payments are nearly ubiquitous. And attributes the, the broad movement away from cash to the uptake of new cashless payment technologies, such as mobile uh, contactless and EMV chip and modern payments infrastructure. Countries such as the US, where an estimated 80% of the value of consumer spending was cashless, and Singapore at 69%, are approaching the tipping points to becoming nearly cashless and remaining cash use is largely a product of consumer habit. So it's this habit they're telling you, right? And then they give you the ones that are down at the bottom that haven't caught up yet. But then you go into this article. To give you another, another look at it, Israel eyes, Israel eyes cashless economy to boost tax collection. See, there's, there's many ways to, to put this kind of stuff out, you see. Off the books payments cost Israeli public because billions of shekels go untaxed and don't contribute to the treasury, according to the head of a new committee, and that will propose ways of reducing cash transactions and increasing electronic payment methods. So, so they're, they're doing ways that they're actually going to um, discourage folk from using cash. Your little bonuses, little free this and that if you don't use cash. You see, this is, that always works with the people, unfortunately, doesn't it? And, and, um, and it's all for that. And, and two, the governments planned years ago to go completely cashless. And eventually, in your computer will be linked right to the government tax office and any purchase you make or anything that you sell will be taxed immediately as you do it in real time and it goes straight to the government. I've read about that years ago. So that's where we're all all going this way. That's why. Also, it says Fed's arrest alleged founder of Bitcoin's largest drug market. 
federal prosecutors have indicted a man named Ross William Ulbricht in San Francisco. They say he's a founder of Silk Road, a controversial website that allows users to buy and sell narcotics and other illicit goods. Finally, in 2011, Silk Road website used Bitcoin, a digital currency that helped mask the identity of Silk Road's merchants and customers. The government shuttered the site and seized approximately 26,000 Bitcoins worth approximately $3.6 million. The government says it was the largest ever Bitcoin seizure in history. During its two and a half years in operation, Silk Road has been used by several thousand drug dealers and other uh, unlawful vendors to distribute hundreds of kilograms of illegal drugs and other illicit goods and services to well over 100,000 buyers, the government alleges in its indictment. The government says that 600,000 bitcoins changed hands on the site, which are at current exchange rates translates to $1.2 billion. In addition to narcotics, Silk Road also had listings for fake driver's licenses, counterfeit currency. Oh, I wonder what counterfeit is. I mean, if it mines backed by nothing, what is it? Eh? So religion is backed by faith, hacking services and much more, the government alleges, and so on and so on. But uh, we'll all be cashless shortly, and then uh, it's like Bertrand Russell said, when he talked about giving the people credits instead of money. It's the same thing. You see, cashless doesn't matter what the, what the cash is. It's credits. And eventually, they'll just stop all your... They'll take from what they want from your accounts. The government will do that. Or shut you down if you've been bad or politically incorrect on your site. Things like that. It's all been discussed before you heard of the internet. From Hamish Monsieur from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God, your gods go with you.